Counseling Unbelievers on this edition of Truth and Love. I'm Dale Johnson, and you're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, where we seek to provide biblical solutions for the problems that people face. This week on the podcast, we are dipping into our mailbag. We have been asking for our listeners to send in questions, and this week we are addressing one of those very specific questions. And the question goes something like this, how do we, as a counseling ministry, focus on ministry toward our community? And then from that, what do we do when we're counseling unbelievers? What a great question that's posed. First of all, let me say that I am so grateful uh, that you would have the mindset that counseling ministry can be missional, that we can utilize as a ministry of the church. The church becomes a place where hurting people go, they desire to go to, and that you have a vision that says we can reach out to people in our communities that are hurting. I'll give you an example. When I was serving uh, in a local church ministry, led a counseling ministry there, we had lots of opportunity. I can remember uh, the first six months I was there, we were establishing a counseling ministry. I was somewhat discouraged. We weren't receiving a lot of people for counseling. And then it was like all of a sudden, uh, we had several people who had come in who the Lord had done tremendous work in, and without any advertising, word of mouth just began to spread. And we became overwhelmed with people from our community. We were intentional about being missional for our community. We wanted to give a a distinct perspective of our church that we were for our community, wanting to help our community, uh, and not wanting to just be insulary uh, in the things that we did just for our people. And so uh, we began to see a tremendous amount of folks. I mean, even the the surrounding counties, people would come uh, because they were hearing of what the Lord was doing uh, in people's lives, and we were offering uh, free counseling even to the community. So we had a lot of opportunity to counsel those who uh, who were unbelievers. Now, when we approach an unbeliever, certainly uh, we have to approach counseling them in a very different fashion. And I might not even call it counseling, because when, when we think about biblical counseling, there's a distinct approach in the ways in which we counsel someone or offer counsel to someone. We're offering the Word of God to them, and we're calling them to obedience. We're calling them to deny themselves. We're calling them to put off the old man and put on the new man. We're calling them to uh, a moral standard. We're calling them to obey the imperatives that God has given in His Word, and, and those things are quite distinct. And, and what we understand is, as believers, uh, it takes the Holy Spirit to accomplish that work. And so we're, we're calling believers to do something that they're empowered to do because of the Holy Spirit that's living inside of them. We're, we're helping them work through the process of sanctification, utilizing the beauty of God's Word. But, but we know when we're dealing with an unbeliever, that perspective becomes quite different. We're, we're not able to call them to obedience in certain things because uh, they don't have the power of the Spirit to accomplish that in a way that's pleasing to the Lord and beneficial for them. So we have to be cautious. The, the first caution I would say when we're counseling unbelievers, and let's say you're administering well to the community and word starts to get out and you're seeing people just who are broken, who are hurting from the community, praise the Lord for that. Uh, but it does raise some challenges. How are you going to approach them? The first thing I would say is just caution. We have to be cautious about the ways in which we do counseling for unbelievers. 
I would say absolutely utilize the opportunity to engage them. The, the Lord, through His providence, has, has brought them to a place where they're broken, they're hurting, they're in great need. But, but we can't take the same approach that we would in counseling a believer, because we would, in effect, ask them to do something that would actually complicate their problems more. We would ask them to do things that are pleasing to the Lord in their own strength. That's completely contrary to Scripture. Uh, They can't do anything to atone for uh, the brokenness in their life or to repair it in their own selves. So we, we can't approach counseling in that same way. We have to begin to see their life distinctly and differently. We have to begin to see that if we call them to these things, uh, obedience, and asking them to do that in their own power, we're simply just enabling them to act as a Pharisee. Uh, we're giving them uh, different tips and helps and hopes that are actually not for them based on the promises of God. So we have to be careful and cautious. You say, okay, uh, if that's a caution, now what do I even talk about? Well, I, I think it's important that we look particularly at the ministry of Jesus. We look at the ministry of Paul, and we see very clearly that they interacted with unbelievers. In fact, that's a part of the Great Commission that Jesus gives to us as believers. And this is, for me, one of the critical things and distinctions about biblical counseling that's most necessary. So even in this case, when we're dealing with an unbeliever, you'll have different stripes of uh, counseling that that say, uh, even Christian counseling that say, you know, well, we have to be uh, cautious about the disposition of the person. If they're not a believer, um, then, then we, we shouldn't use the name of Jesus or we shouldn't talk about Jesus. I would say for one who desires to do biblical counseling, uh, that's non-negotiable. Uh, we find salvation in no other name, the scriptures say, other than Jesus. And what we notice is uh, the initial question, one of the questions I think is most profound uh, that Jesus asks is, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his own soul? Let's take, for example, uh, a man who's struggling with, uh, with pornography. And uh, we help him in that process to, uh, as an unbeliever, he feels guilty. His wife uh, is upset with him about this and, and his engagement in uh, this sexually immoral activity. And so we give him some basic tools and some moral uh, guidelines and some parameters that, that help him to, uh, in his own strength, overcome uh, this idea of pornography. And when I say overcome, I just mean where he's not participating in this activity anymore. There's a sense in which, okay, he feels better. And I can say, well, this is, this is good. This is a progress that's happening. Uh, but in reality, what, what have I done for him? Essentially, what I've done is I've made him feel better about his own strength and his own power and his own ability to overcome any difficulties that he has in life, as opposed to being able to help him to see it's not possible for him to gain the world, which is what he's wanting, and then lose his own soul. For us, when we talk about helping this person, we have to see that this particular issue, his greatest problem at that moment is not his involvement in looking at pornography. His greatest issue is revealed in the symptom that he struggles with this addiction to pornography. That's a symptom, and the greatest struggle that he has is he's losing his own soul. And so in those moments, it's absolutely critical that we utilize uh, this particular issue at which this man is failing, and we can use this as a, as a point of tenderness in his own heart, uh, a place where he sees he's weak and he doesn't have the ability to truly overcome, because what I'm focused on is I want to make sure that in the end, this man doesn't lose his soul. 
And so it's important for us when we approach issues like that, that we're, we're seeing this through the lens of the gospel. And what I want to do is to help him to see his greatest need is just simply revealed in this particular struggle. This is one uh, shadow, if you will, or a, a um, symptom of the main problems that he's struggling with. And I'm going to use this opportunity now for a presentation of the gospel to help him to see that Jesus satisfies, Jesus meets his particular needs, and this is just his heart crying out for something greater than himself. I think about Jesus with uh, his encounter, and he had many of these encounters. We'll just choose one, one in John chapter 8, where he uh, has an encounter with an adulterous woman. And this encounter, to me, is quite profound because he's, uh, he's seeing this woman, uh, she's being condemned by others. And the way in which Jesus handles her situation is quite profound. Uh, he sees her in her greatest need. Uh, he really doesn't address the issue that is being brought before him relative to adultery. Uh, what he does is he sees the need that's around. He notices everyone else has a similar need relative to sin. He, he makes a statement saying, uh, if any of you doesn't have any sin, you can be the one who cast the first stone. He sees the brokenness of this, this woman. He acknowledges that adultery is just a symptom of her greater problem, because what he tells her to do is to go and to sin no more, and he tells her that her sin is forgiven. You see, Jesus didn't shy away from these types of problems, even for unbelievers. I think Jesus was able to uh, utilize this symptom of this person's life to get straight to the heart of the issue. And so I think it, it behooves us in those situations to do something similar. And, and you'll see this pattern. Just, just read through the Gospels, read through Matthew, read through John, and you'll see how Jesus has a very specific interaction with those uh, who come before him. And uh, it's critical that we begin to see people in really the similar fashion that all these issues that they're facing, whether it be something that's physical or something that is uh, an issue of, of sin that's wrecking their life, uh, where their life is broken because of it, it's critical for us to see what underlies that. There's something that's underlying that that's uh, causing this symptom to occur, and that's what Jesus tackles. And I think it's important for us to make sure that we're utilizing these opportunities to help this person see they have greater needs than even what's being presented. And we utilize those as opportunities to show how Jesus meets those needs, how Jesus can um, save their soul, how Jesus can bring peace and rest and, and begin to repair from the brokenness and the ashes. He can make beauty uh, from their life. I also think about Paul in Acts 17. Paul is dealing with uh, unbelievers, uh, people who have had some sort of conception of God, but a, a faulty conception of God. And he's, he's teaching on Mount Areopagus. And in this moment, what he's doing is he's actually utilizing uh, all of these philosophers' experience in life. And what they've tried to do is they've tried to take their experience and, and then fashion certain gods after that experience. You know, a person who comes from our community who's an unbeliever oftentimes has done the same thing. They have a, a, an understanding of God in their mind. They have an understanding of uh, their perception, their place, their purpose in the world, why something might be broken in their life, but they're, they're, they're kind of scrounging around trying to figure out, okay, what's going on in my life? And that's why they've come to you for help. And, and one of the things that you see Paul is doing is he's taking their experience and he's explaining by their experience, and he's helping them to see that their experience actually makes most sense 
in relation to the God of creation. You know, I think that's a really important principle when we think about counseling unbelievers is I think it's absolutely critical that we utilize one of the things Paul Tripp used to say is he used to describe that we use these moments as entry gates into the hearts of people. And I think that's quite profound because for us, we're doing something similar that Paul was able to do even in Acts chapter 17. He's taking the experience of these philosophers and they're trying to make sense of life and trying to put this um, in relation to who they should worship and who they should serve. And he demonstrates by their experience they're worshiping the wrong things. And I think it's very similar for us in the counseling room where we utilize the experiences of people. We don't cast it aside as if it's meaningless. Uh, This is in God's providence. This is where God has them. This is a way in which God is utilizing even brokenness of the world that that they might cry out, that this is not the way life is supposed to be. And they're confused. They don't have the answers. They don't know why it's not working the way it's supposed to. They just know it's broken. And the Bible tells their story. The, the Bible describes the background of their life. It predicts where they're going and how they're getting there by living according to their own devices, by living according to their own wisdom. And, and we now have the opportunity to enter into their world by the experiences that they've tried to make sense of and we introduce them to God. I think this is one of the most critical points is a person can never fully understand themselves or be aware of who they really are without seeing themselves in relation to the God of the Bible. And so we utilize the Scriptures as a means to raise up God, His character, His expectation, who He is, how He explains a person's life, why they fall into trouble, how they get out of trouble by His gospel and salvation. And I think in doing so, what people now can see as they're seeing themselves in the mirror, the only pure and true mirror, the Word of God, now they come face to face with who they really are. And in those moments, what I've seen happen in counseling, and I think what the Scriptures would drive us toward, is now that person sees their emptiness. Now that person sees their brokenness. Now that person sees that Jesus is the only way for true salvation. And I think our approach toward counseling an unbeliever really takes the fashion of the gospel, where we consistently use their experiences to show how they're weak, they're inadequate, they can't overcome and accomplish and meet the needs that they have. I think it's critical when we engage an unbeliever that we're looking for a couple of things. Jesus makes very clear in Matthew 9, uh, 11 through 12, he's having this conversation with Uh, folks. Jesus has called Matthew. He tells him to come follow him. And then in uh, 11 and 12, this is what Jesus says, and when the Pharisees saw this, uh, talking about the calling of Matthew, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Verse 12 says, but when he heard it, Jesus, when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous but sinners. And it's interesting. You can see how Jesus in the Gospels, how he treats the Pharisee. They think they have it all figured out. Uh, There's lost as a ball in high weeds. They're trying to figure life out. But they assume that they have it all together and that they're representing God. One of the things Jesus takes offense at in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, You have heard it said, but I say to you. He's trying to correct people's view of God that the Pharisees had given to them. 
And what Jesus is doing is he's rejecting them. You notice the, the tone in which Jesus speaks to the Pharisees. And the reason is because they approach life with haughtiness and pride, thinking that they have God figured out, they have life figured out, and they've assumed that they know how to get uh, to their way home. Jesus is correcting that idea, and, and here he makes very clear his mission was to save those who were lost. He, his mission was to seek those who were sinners, who were broken. The reason I bring this up is I think it's important for us as counselors, when we're meeting with people who are unbelievers, to learn to discern in this brokenness, is this person haughty? Are they really looking for help? Are they really searching for hope, or do they just want something to feel better in the moment and move on with life? You know, that's important in our counseling ministry that we discern that quickly. Is this person coming, and are they truly broken? Are they at a place of humility? And what Jesus is saying is he desires for us to offer them mercy. It's better than sacrifice, but to offer them mercy. And consistently we see this is exactly what Jesus does in his own ministry. I think it's important for us as we consider talking with those who are unbeliever. This, this is a part of our mission. In Colossians 1.28, Paul is commanding the church at Colossae, and he, he tells them that their goal is to make every person complete in Christ. I would argue that that's the same goal for us when we're dealing with unbelievers. Uh, they have to first be made alive in Christ, and then we work through the process of making them complete in Christ. So, so that would be my desire is when a lost person is sitting in front of me, I'm trying to see what's their experience with brokenness. What are the symptoms that express uh, their lostness in clear terms? And then how do I take the gospel of Jesus? Because my goal is I would love to see them become complete in Christ because I know that it's not going to profit them anything if I can give them some sort of sage earthly wisdom that helps them to move through this situation a little easier, but then they lose their own soul. I think that that's one of the most unloving things that we could actually do. And so for me, I think it's critical that we have the focus. I want to see this person complete in Christ, but first, in order for that to happen, they must come alive in Christ. And so I'm going to utilize this symptom of the brokenness in their life to talk through the ways that Jesus meets that need. Sometimes I do it by just simply explaining how God tells their story. God tells their story to such a degree that he explains how and why they find themselves in the current mess that they're in. And what I've often seen is as I describe that to people, they become so encouraged that how could God predict this would be my life? that I would find myself in this type of pit, and that if God was wise enough to predict because of their own uh, sin, their own sinful disposition, that they would fall into these types of holes and traps and difficulties in life, might this God have something to say about how they get out? And so I've seen that transition happen so many times in the counseling room where uh, by the end of the counseling conversation, and maybe it's the second or the third session or fourth session that I'm working with them to consistently describe Jesus and, and how he explains their experiences and how he's the hope that they're longing for, where I have an opportunity to then lead them to faith, to, to tell them about Romans 10, that they should call upon the name of the Lord so that they can be saved, and that God doesn't always change their immediate experience, but what he now does is those promises that we hope in they are theirs in Jesus. So my encouragement is that we have caution. We cannot counsel an unbeliever the same way because we're not into making a Pharisee, calling them to do something they don't have the power to do. But the second thing is, is that, yes, we engage. We engage absolutely. We engage with a heart of mercy, discerning humility and brokenness in this moment 
and then graciously and kindly presenting to them an accurate view of who God is so that they can see themselves for who they are. And then that allows us the opportunity to talk about Jesus as the one who saves them from this issue and all their other issues that, uh, that would arise. This is an opportunity that we have, and I would say, yes, we counsel unbelievers. We, we talk to them. We evangelize them is maybe the best way to describe that. And so thank you for your question, and I would also say thank you for your heart for your community. This is a way in which we change the shape of the way church is viewed in our communities. When we have counseling ministries where we can be missional, because let's just admit this, the church often is looked at in our communities as a place that asks something from people more than we give something to our communities. And this is an opportunity through our counseling ministries to reach out, to show that we are merciful, we are caring, we, we care about the hurts and the brokenness uh, that happens in our community, and we have the answers in the Scriptures to minister well so that people can be saved and redeemed and they can overcome the issues that they have in life. You're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of ACBC. And I want to continue to encourage you to ask questions. We love to get these questions in that interest you. This gives us an opportunity to address something that we know is a specific interest of some of our listeners. So can I encourage you to send in your questions about issues that you would love for us to address? We love to receive those questions, and we love to try and address them in a way that's biblically helpful to you. So if you want to know more information about today's podcast or other resources, you can visit us at biblicalcounseling.com.